took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glorious. Glorious. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. Fenders of Grace. Hello once again to the Guardians of Grace podcast. We thank you for coming. And as always, we start off the podcast asking for that you, Father God, would fill us with a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can understand these scriptures, that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind that understands all that you have prepared for us in advance, all the goodness that you've prepared to give us and all the changes that you gave us when you changed the covenant from the old covenant to the new covenant. So we thank you and we ask you to bless this podcast. We're here today to do another installment of the Guardians of Grace and I've got Brother Bill with me coming to share the word with you. Thanks again, Steve, and thanks. Glad to be here. Guarding the grace against its arch enemy, human effort, self-will, Today, at the end of this broadcast, I hope that grace will be uplifted, human effort, and self-will will become a thing of the past, something not to be depended on because of the introduction of a new and living way, which is the Spirit, Steve. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, in the last few podcasts, we went over a couple notions in one week. We put to death the, or we put to bed the the idea that um, the, the idea of whether or not we are under the Ten Commandment system as Christians, we we put that to bed by actually looking at the scriptures that said point blank, we are not under law but under grace, like Romans six fourteen. The sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Or the Romans 7, 7, you have been released to the law so that you can walk in newness of the spirit. Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. But we went into those scriptures in depth. We saw that, yeah, okay, we can answer that question. Are we under the Ten Commandment system or the Ten Commandment mentality? The answer is no. no. A resounding no. Then we went on to see why it would warn us about being under the law. We, we saw several sharp warnings telling us not to get ourselves under the law. And we saw the scripture verses. Once again, they were undeniable. We saw the scripture verses that says, when the commandment came in, sin sprang to life and I died in this commandment which was supposed to result in life for me 
actually killed me because sin took the opportunity through the commandment and deceived me and therefore killed me. We, we saw this law of dynamics in Romans 7, 14 through 24, a law of dynamics that was a mystery that was hidden in all the generations before the apostles and seems to be hidden in the 21st century too, but it was a a principle or a law of dynamics, just like the law of gravity, it can't, it can never change. And it was the fact that in our own human strength, with our own human willpower, sin springs to life and dominates us. It wages war in our members and makes us a prisoner of embarrassment a prisoner of sin and we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we do want to do. Then we went on to see the the idea that we have two natures and we looked at those verses which were, were clear like Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning in the Spirit's power? Are you now trying to attain the goal of the Christian life through human effort? I don't yeah. know if it's polite to say this, but uh, you do know, Steve, that the Greek word for so foolish is not a very nice word yep. when he asks it. Yeah. yeah. He actually calls them stupid morons. Right, right. And why? Because they were uh, trying to attain the goal of the Christian life through human effort. Matter of fact, maybe we'll look in at, at, at Galatians 2 starting in 15. Let me just read this to you, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. We are Jews by nature, there's our our nature, our human nature, and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man, the human man, is not justified by works of the law, but through the faithfulness of Christ, even we who have believed in Christ, that we may be justified by the faithfulness of him, and not by works of the law, since by works of the law no human effort will be justified. But, in in a questions posed, what if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners? Is Christ then the ministry of sin, meganoita, Yeah, Paul answers the questions by saying, if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I'll prove to be a sinner all over again. Meaning if I rebuild the Ten Commandment mentality, whereby I in my own human determination am going, are going to please God, rebuild, construct that mentality, we just prove ourselves to be a sinner again. So we should stay away from that. That's why in Galatians 3.3, he says, are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit or by the spirit's power, are you now being perfected by human effort? He gave us that warning that we were talking about. And, and we're coming to the point where we want to answer why the warnings are there. Can I go get you back to 17? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Is that where, if I rebuild what I destroyed? Verse 18. 
verse 18, I'm sorry. I prove myself to be a transgressor. This was a verse that for me, I would be in the same category of why are you so foolish in Galatians 3.3 because of verse 18 says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, I just automatically had the thought that rebuilding what I destroyed meant going back to a lifestyle about I don't care if I keep the law or I don't care if I sin. You ever had that good thought? Point, good point. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I but thought, but it's not what that verse is talking about. No, is it's it? not. No, it's not. That's why it's so important that he says three times in verse sixteen that you're not justified by the works of the law, and he makes it clear that Peter, you're a Jew by birth. You ought to know this. But as you said earlier, no one knew. Even Paul said, "I don't know. I don't understand this dynamic that's working in me, where I can't do keep the law." I don't, I don't know why I can't keep the law. seems like I can, but I can't keep the law. So this dynamic was not understood even by the Apostle Paul when he was writing Romans 7. And Peter is not grasping the concept either because he Peter has rebuilt what he destroyed. And we know that because Paul said Peter was going back to the Jewish customs of keeping the law, being kosher, and Paul felt the need to get in his face in in 16. It's mm-hmm. a genuine Jerry Springer confrontation. Yeah, and I wish somebody would have gotten my face, but instead people were getting in my face saying, Steve, you need to rededicate your life. You've got to make more of a commitment not to sin and more of a commitment to do the things that you should do. So I had... I had Steve is falling back into his old ways, so he's rebuilding what he destroyed. I I had people telling me to rebuild what I've destroyed. Can you relate? You committed your life to following Christ, and now you're rebuilding your life by living in sin, so to speak. Yes. Does, does Does the TV not ask you to recommit several times a week? Does the radio not ask you to recommit several times a week? It's asking you to rebuild what you once destroyed, which was the commandment, human performance treadmill that you put yourself back on, and I put myself back on. But we're seeing that these scriptures are saying, don't do that. Don't we do that missed at all. the whole purpose of the law, and we've looked at it as the problem is not a commitment to the law. The problem, or the problem, is a commitment problem, not a nature that is contrary to the law problem. Forgetting the whole purpose of the law was to show you that you had a nature that is contrary to the law, and once you've been shown that you have a nature that is contrary to the law. That's why Paul has every right to say, are you so stupid? Why are you going back to your human effort to obtain the goal? Yeah, since you mentioned that, I guess we should we should look at, at Galatians, where it tells us what, what the law was put in effect for. And, and I'll just read it. The, the scriptures have shut up all men under sin, that the promise might be the faithfulness of Jesus and it be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody, being shut up 
to the faith which was later to be revealed by the law. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we can be justified by Christ's faithfulness. Now that the tutor is no longer necessary, then we are no longer under the tutor which the tutor was the law. We are no longer under the law because it had a purpose. It was to show us how utterly sinful we are, to show us how that law of dynamics of sin and death that was mentioned in Romans, how prevalent it is in our lives and how much we need to cry out, just like Paul did, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? And we need to ask Christ to rescue us. That's what we're talking about here today. So it is a, um, the law did have a purpose. You know, it reminds me of what we're talking about in Galatians is the promise that was given to Abraham long ago back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And one of them was that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who cursed you, and that all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed in you. So it, it says that he'll bless and he'll curse, but all will be blessed. So do you get that, Steve? That God worked a curse so he could curse the flesh, which curses us, so that he could bring in a blessing, which would be the Spirit. And so the curse was from the fall that we live according to human effort. And so he curses us all the more not to curse us for the sake of leaving us cursed, but he curses us for the sake of us turning from the human effort, which the law requires, into the spirit, which is a blessing. So he blesses and curses, but the ultimate, the end result is to bless just like you have a scripture that says the the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom and then you have perfect love casts out fear so you you have something god does at the beginning to provoke a fear so that to turn to god to look to god but then ultimately he removes the fear with the perfect love as an end result so the blessing follows the curse the grace the spirit follows the law the law was a temporary covenant with a purpose in mind to get us ready to receive the Spirit. And it gets us ready by, see, by showing us the ultimate futility of living by human effort. That's Once you arrive at the, the futility of human effort, you're ready for something new. That's why we get back to Galatians 3.3 where he says, Are you so foolish? After having begun in the Spirit, are you now going to try to attain the the goal of living the Christian life? Are you going to try to attain the goal of pleasing your spouse and pleasing your boss and being pleasing when you're in a crowd of people? Are you going to try and attain that goal by human effort? How many times do you need to turn on the light that's not plugged in before you realize it's not going to work until you plug it in? Yes, we need to rely on the Spirit's power to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And this 
was a mystery to me so long in my Christian life. For years, I tried by my human effort to live and please my wife and everything. But then I gave up. I said, Spirit, you do it through me. And I blossomed. I blossomed. My wife began to she, she quit being annoyed with everything I said, and she began to really love the things I was saying to her. And it was all because I began to rely on the Spirit to speak through me and not rely on my human nature. Quite a so here are a couple verses that support what we were saying, because as always, we don't want to tell you anything unless we back it up with a Bible verse. But maybe you could look at... Don't you name them off and I'll read them. How's that? Okay, Romans 8, 4. Romans 8, 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let me read another translation. But that's... My translation says that all the requirements of the law might be fully met by us who do not walk according to human effort, but walk according to the Spirit's power. It's the same thing that... that fully met. That's why Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not our human determination, not our human will is the hope of glory, but... It's this entity that lives inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit is our hope of glory because it does for us what we can't do for ourselves. It causes us to blossom. Christ in you, the hope of blossoming. Christ in you, the hope of living the exemplary life. Christ in you, the hope of being pleasing and saying the things that are pleasing to your wife. Christ in you not you using your determination. That too was uh, a mystery too. Actually, it's called the mystery of the ages, that Christ in you, your only hope of glory, as I've heard some express it. So if you take that with the, um, the Romans 8, that all the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who walk after the Spirit, and you take that, that Christ in us is Christ's spirit living in us is our hope of glory, meaning that it's going to happen by the spirit's power. Amen, Bill. Amen. This brings us to what we want to learn of in this podcast. I I want us to see a couple phrases that, that seem to not have any real significance or meaning when when, um, when you read these these little phrases you, you usually you just go huh okay and keep going what's that mean but I want to give meaning to these little phrases the phrases are in him in Christ in Jesus in God in the Holy Spirit, these little phrases have a very, very specific meaning. And it's one that should be taken to heart. That's why in Galatians 3.3, it says, Are you so foolish after having begun in the Spirit? Are you trying to attain the goal by human effort? In Galatians 3.3, it actually teaches us what in the Spirit means. And it means the exact opposite of in your human effort. 
In other words, when it says, and do this in Christ, it's really meaning do this in Christ and not your own human determination. Don't use your, your human determination, but do this in the Spirit's power. So with that in mind, I think I'd like to look at a, a couple verses with the idea in mind. Once you read the Bible, you'll see that the New Testament is... Hey, wait a minute, Steve. I want to interrupt if that's okay. It sure is. You mentioned um, in the Spirit, in Him, in Christ, through Christ, by the Spirit, as these key words, right? These these words, all you've mentioned is these words that in English and in Greek, they're prepositions. And they, what a preposition does is it tells you where the source to carry out the verb is coming from. So when it's saying by the Spirit or in the Spirit or through the Spirit, it's saying that the source of carrying out the commandment is coming from the Spirit. And uh, maybe we can look at Philippians 4. I think you were going to go there. Sure, if sure. If I'm not yeah. jumping the gun. Yeah, yeah. We can look at uh, Philippians 4. I think that's a great spot to, to, to look because it, it, it's a condensed version of, of what we're talking about. The idea of in the Spirit, that phrase. We get to see it five and times on the flip in one side, chapter. Um, I was just thinking that on the flip side, Paul said that in me as the source of doing it, I find no good power to carry out the good thing. So he says, in me I find no good thing that is in my flesh. Share, share the passage. Um, it's in Romans 7, I believe. Um, and it's coming after he's describing this horrible situation. He was going, I don't understand what I do, the thing I want to do, I don't do, the thing I want to avoid. I keep doing, then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ is the answer through another preposition. I can, um, there is no condemnation. Thanks be to God through Jesus. Help me out here. But yeah, you, you were going to say in me dwells in talk about your humanity. Yes, it's, it's the same preposition works the same way there. Because it's naming the source of carrying out the the action, the good deed, the good thing to do. And Paul says, in me, I find no good thing. And then he clarifies, in me, meaning my flesh. because we Human are effort. Human effort. Because he also mentioned Christ in us, this mystery that he didn't know about, is in us. So in him, there's the flesh, and in him, there's the spirit. But he says, in me, that is my flesh, I find no good thing. If I, there, there's no good source of carrying out the law, because the law is good, but the law is spiritual. And he says, I am unspiritual in my flesh or human effort. So these commands are spiritual commands given to people in the flesh to show them that the flesh is incompatible with the energy 
the ability needed to carry out the command. So he says these key words are so important by him, by the Spirit, because if you miss them, you'll go back to rebuilding what you destroyed by my flesh, trying to keep the commandment, by human effort, trying to keep the commandment, by a renewed commitment love, trying to keep the commandment, by assigning myself an accountability partner that will hammer me when I don't do it, I'll keep the commandment. All these things are on the preposition that the source of doing the commandment comes out of my flesh or my human effort. And so now you're getting into this secret, this mystery that was hidden throughout all generations to everyone, including the Apostle Paul, that Christ in us lives by the Spirit, and Christ in us by His Spirit is the source that the prepositions point to as the ability to live the Christian life. Okay, so with that in mind, let, let's let's go to Philippians chapter 3, or uh, chapter 4 actually, because we're going to see these prepositional phrases, and it's going to be in the Lord. Let, let's look at Philippians 4, verse 1. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, stand firm. There's your commandment. Right. There's your preposition. In the Lord. It's not a commandment for you to stand firm. It's telling you how to stand firm. Use the Lord's power to stand firm. In the Lord. Like you said, it, it's a preposition that tells you where the source of the power is. The source of the power is in the Lord. So stand firm using the Lord's power. And then he goes on in verse 2, I urge Eodia and I urge Syncates to live in harmony in the Lord. There again, there's the preposition, in the Lord. Um, the, the, the chapter and most of your epistles are actually sat, saturated with this. And once you've seen it for the first time, you'll, you'll be aware of it and you'll see it all through the epistles. You'll actually enjoy going to each imperative mood, which means each thing that seems like a command. And you'll see that it says in the Lord and you'll know that He's telling you how to do it. He's not giving you the command. You'll see that all through the epistles. And for me, that was just life-changing because every time I was reading those, I was thinking, oh man, I have another burden. I have another another thing to do, another verb to do. And um, it, for 20 years, I read it like that. And then I finally caught on to just how significant these phrases in the Lord are. And um, I, I began to realize all that stuff that I'd been taking on as a burden was, it was actually telling me how to do it. And I was used, I thought it was a burden for my own human nature in my own human will and drive to take on. And it, it wasn't, it was telling me how to do it, not to do it, but how to do it in the Lord. And that's what it says in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. You know how hard it is to rejoice at the end of a bad day. It just doesn't come. It just doesn't come. 
not not in your human capacity. Uh, that's why he says in the Lord, our prepositional phrase, rejoice in the Lord, not in your human strength. And then if that's not enough, it says, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. In other words, tell them it's the spirit doing it through you. Let them know that it's the spirit. Um, then, then finally, verse 10, he says, but I say rejoice in the Lord greatly. He asks us to rejoice or tells us how to rejoice one more time because it's important to know it. You, you do it by the Spirit's power because it's so hard to rejoice. Then he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, get a load of this, you guys. It's actually the same Greek word we were reading. In the Lord, in the Spirit, live in harmony in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord. This phrase is saying, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And no matter whether you use through him, you could, you, you could, you could read this passage like this. Stand firm through the Lord, live in harmony through the Lord. It doesn't matter which way you use it, but either way, he's, he's, he's telling you how he accomplished all the things that he accomplishes. He says, everything that I do is in the Lord or through the Lord's power. This is how he rolls. He uses the power of God to make him the best person that he can be. And when I caught on to this and started you know, testing it out. Just test it out for yourself. When I began to test this out, it worked. I blossomed. I blossomed. I'm telling you, I blossomed. That's been 15 years ago, and I've blossomed ever since. And I can take, I can't take any credit for it because it was truly by God's power in the Lord that I blossomed. And, and I think you've got the chance of blossoming too. That's why I'm speaking about this revelation. I, I want you to get it and then apply it for yourself. Just say, I'm done with the human performance treadmill. I never could accomplish the goal. I'm not gonna be so foolish. I begin in the spirit. I'm going to use to the spirit to accomplish the goal of living the Christian life and accomplish the goal of being pleasing to my wife and the people around me. Didn't, uh, if I could interrupt, didn't Jesus allude to the same thing where he's talking in John 15 about, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It sure did. That, this was Jesus' classic example of what we're talking about. This was when he was in what's known as the upper room discourse, and he was speaking plainly to them, not in parables. He was speaking so plainly to them that they said, ah, alas, you're speaking plainly to us, and we can see that you, you need no one to ask you questions. In, in other words, you, you don't need to be asked if you are God or not because you're proving that you are God by talking so plainly to us. But when he's speaking plainly to us, he, he does just that. I would say then, um, and I'll let you read it, but okay. apart from me, you can do nothing, and in him, 
you just read in Philippians 4.13, yeah. you can do all things. So I'm going to ask you a question, kind of knowing the answer because we talked about it before. Have you found a command or an imperative statement in the New Testament epistles that does not have this way to do it called in him or in the spirit or in Christ or by Christ? Everything that seems like a command in context is is has something to do with it in the Lord. It, it, a lot of times he just puts that phrase in there, but I guess he doesn't want to be completely redundant and do every single other phrase in him. He'll leave a few to to uh, for you to get it within the context. But it, it'll be like. God is the source of all that you have. By the grace of God, you are what you are. And then they'll say, so stand firm. Um, you, you know, you'll know that by the grace of God, you can stand firm. But, and that's what Jesus was saying. I am the true vine. My father is the fine vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch in me that bears fruit, he lifts up that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the words which I have spoken to you. Mean, meaning in the new covenant, your sins and lawless deeds, God already remembers no more. Abide in me and I am you, in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The vine can't bear fruit of itself. And he said, I am the vine. Um, he, we're the branches and we can't bear fruit in and of ourselves. Not unless we're grafted in and abiding in God. the source, the source. And, and he says, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, meaning if you're not abiding in your human effort, then you're abiding in him and he's manifesting himself through you. That's what it means when he says, I abide in you. You abide in me, you, you forsake human effort, and then I'll abide in you. I'll show myself through you. Can you um, go back to the um, yeah. every branch that does not bear fruit, I will take away? Yeah. Um, verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he lifts up that it may bear fruit. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See, I see that now as a positive thing, whereas it used to be a fearful thing. Because I, I see that in me, there's branches that don't bear fruit. They're my flesh. And every time he lifts up my spirit, I shine. Every time he takes away opportunities for my flesh to perform, and he does that by his spirit teaching me to rely on him, as it says in um, 1 John 2.20, that um, the spirit teaches us to abide in him. The same word in John mm -hmm. 15, to remain in him, is what the word abide is. So even these seemingly scary verses are in the light of what he's teaching us, they're actually good things because he's taken away opportunities for our flesh to not be able to perform. Amen. Um, um, so 
he says, if anyone does not abide in me, in, in verse 6, well, let me do verse 5. Who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That kind of says it all. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't do anything of any value apart from the life of Christ in us manifesting itself. And it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away into the fire and he is burned or they are burned. The the master gathers them up and throws them into the fire, which is an allusion to something we're not going to get into today. But it's an allusion to the First Corinthians three judgment, the the, the white throne judgment, where where uh, we are judged according to our works, and it says, and they are burned up, um, and it says, yet we are saved as yet through fire, but but our works get burned up, and it's because we did not use Jesus as the source of our works. It's kind of making our tree study come more into focus, Steve. I'm thinking about Jesus' words where he says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot Mm -hmm. bear good fruit. might be the other way around. Mm -hmm. And then you'll know them by their fruit. So what is the good tree and what is the bad tree? Well, the bad tree that cannot bear good fruit was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the human human effort tree. our own effort tree and everything that prepositions out of the bad tree comes out of that bears no fruit so the bad tree is really our human effort the good tree jesus just said is the vine i'm the true vine and then he talks about abiding in the true vine so abiding in the bad tree and bearing fruit from the bad tree is the human effort tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is synonymous with human effort and trying to keep uh, the commands apart from him, right? Yep, yep. And in that passage that you're talking about, the good tree and the bad tree, that's the passage where they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And he said, either make the tree good or make the tree bad, meaning he is the tree. He is the good tree. Our human effort is the tree that does not bear fruit. Wow. How important is that to not confuse the two mm-hmm. trees? That's when you confuse the two trees, you're confusing the two sources of doing good. Amen. Amen. That's why in Colossians 1.10 it says it, this little phrase that you would bear fruit in every good work, meaning you can do good works that don't bear fruit. If, they're, if the source of the good work is your human willpower, then it doesn't bear fruit. If the source of the good work is done by the good tree, then it bears much fruit. All these things are trying to give us the same word picture, and, and it's trying to tell us, don't use human effort. Are you so foolish after having begun in the spirit? Are you going to try and attain the goal of the Christian life by human effort? You can see just how much of the Bible is is driving this one point home once you get turned on to the fact that this one point was being made. 
Wow, so it's not the activity, it's the source of the energy to do the activity. Amen, amen. It, the, the activity could be the same. Yes. Say we're, we're going out to um, a homeless shelter or homeless ministry, and we're going to bring some food and clothing and, and really help the people. One person can do it by the source of the bad tree, or their human effort, and one source can do it by the source of the spirit. The good thing is, even though the the people that you're going to minister to might get some good things like food and clothing, but it doesn't bear much fruit. And in my experience, and I've done homeless ministry a few times in my human effort, flesh, and you, you know how it says you'll know them by their fruit. Um, they spotted me as a phony, and they knew that I was just out there to make a good appearance in the flesh, as Paul's said before. But I don't like doing that, Steve. I, I want to go out there, and I've done it the other way, where I've just been led by the Spirit to be kind. I've been led by the Spirit to be understanding of someone, to help someone. The, the difference in the experience is night and day because it's not the activity again. It's the source of carrying out the activity. Bearing fruit is an awesome feeling. Amen. Doing something in human effort that you know you're just faking it as you're doing it. Is a drag. Is a drag, and it leads to burnout. Burnout. Frustration, futility, all those bad things. It leads you to go, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. Go ahead, Steve. So that's what we don't want to see happen in your life. We don't want you to come to the end of a day and go, man, I was just a wretched man again. We want you to, to blossom, and we want you to live the exemplary Christian life. And, and we're trying to let these Bible verses show you how to do it. We're hoping that just by pointing to these Bible verses and reading them, that you receive this spirit of wisdom and revelation and, and that the, the thoughts that the pages, the thoughts coming off the pages are making sense to you. And they're telling you it, it's time to try a new way of life. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said, this is my way of life, which I taught timothy and he teaches everywhere in every church my way of life in christ jesus that's what paul taught everywhere in every church and that's what hopefully the bible is teaching you today and hopefully you, you'll you'll give it a try use the spirit's power and rely on the spirit's power and not your own human determination try this new way of life and 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 see how it goes please please try this new way of life for us with that in mind i'd like to close us in prayer by saying father god allow us to take root in your teachings allow us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that illuminates what the pages of the bible were saying because we have no argument with anybody those were bible verses that we would be arguing with so allow the words on the pages to rule allow them to dominate allow them to be the the, the master 
and behave according to those verses. We want you to take root in these and then you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and every wind of doctrine and men in their cunning and craftiness. Those things won't sway you anymore. But if it doesn't sound like somebody is telling you to use God's power, you just have deaf ears. You won't listen anymore. That's what we're hoping the, the, the pages that we looked at will teach you to do. Not listen to anybody who's trying to motivate you in your human nature to try and please God asking these scriptures to cause you not to listen to them anymore. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Thank you, everybody. We love you.